Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. Um, if you're hearing this, some for some reason you are subscribed to the uh, Kendallcast Network, um, I or you got it off of some form of social media. So I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you listening. My name is Kendall. Um, I haven't uh, I haven't been podcasting a lot uh, in the last uh, year or two, um, but I wanted to uh, sort of. I couldn't think of a real idea for a podcast, so I figured maybe I maybe I just do a podcast where I ramble about uh, about some of the things, almost like a almost like a blog or something. I figure not that many people are going to listen to it, no matter what I do. So uh, I may as well just sort of uh, use this as a forum to talk about whatever the heck I want. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this regularly or if this is just the, uh, the one, uh, a one-time thing, like a plate, almost a placeholder or something, uh, because I, the, the one thing that did, uh, sort of spur me and, and, uh, and encourage me to decide to do this is I am, um, part of a new podcast called War and Beast. Um, it's on, uh, audioentropy.com and, and hopefully, um, on, uh, on iTunes as well. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm not the, uh, I'm not the guy spearheading it. I'm just, uh, I'm just one of the hosts, but, uh, I, I did want to sort of, uh, post at least a, a little, like a, like a placeholder here. Um, well, uh, what, you know, just, just so, just in case anybody, uh, is interested in that. Um, basically the war and beast podcast, uh, we're going to be rewatching the popular or obscure, I'm not sure which, uh, CG animated, uh, Beast Wars cartoon from the 1990s and, and just sort of, yeah, rewatch, or I guess they called it a let's watch. I, I, I've not heard that term before, but, um, yeah, so I'm going to be doing that. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, I also have sort of just sort of wanted to have a, uh, uh, a podcast where I can sort of ramble and and review about some of the uh, some of the recent things that I've consumed, and not just be limited to uh, comic books or movies or whatever. Just sort of whatever I happen to be doing at the moment, because I I have a lot of little hobbies that I like to do, and uh, yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about uh, is my my comic book pull list for the week. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go in super depth, uh, since I I've had a, I've, I did a pull list podcast for a long time. If anybody, if anybody listened to that, but I'm not going to go, you know, go super in depth here, but, uh, I just want to hit a few of them. Um, so, uh, there's, there were several of the DC rebirth books came out. Um, Batman air, uh, green arrow and nightwing all came out this week. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying, uh, really all of the DC rebirth titles that I'm reading. Um, not reading all of them obviously, but, uh, but, uh, I'm reading Batman, Green Arrow, uh, Nightwing. Uh, I'm giving green, uh, the Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps a shot. And, uh, I think there's one other, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, I'll probably think of it, it while I get, Oh, I'm, Oh, I'm giving, uh, I'm giving, action comics a shot just because I kind of wanted to read a Superman story and it, and it seems it's kind of interesting. I'm talking about books though, this specifically this week. Uh, yeah. Nightwing and green arrow were just sort of good. The green arrow comic, um, is, is, uh, is kind of an interesting run. It's very much, uh, doesn't, doesn't feel like this. uh, We're on issue four 
and it did it didn't feel like a a really a jumping on it, starting at number one it didn't really feel like that good of a jumping on point but it, it is sort of an interesting story about um green arrow and maybe he got killed but then he didn't get killed and uh Lots of uh, moments with Black Canary. They're clearly trying to. Uh, they've introduced John Diggle. They're they're clearly trying to uh, sort of uh, take take after the uh, the the status quo in the show. And there's even some some analog characters that are very reminiscent of characters from the show, but not technically from the show for whatever reason. Um, Batman uh, is this the has sort of turned a corner this um, this issue because. <clears throat> Gotham and Gotham Girl, who are the the new Gotham heroes, um, some we're sort of learning a little bit more about them and um, sort of their their dark side. Uh, definitely, definitely recommend picking up this uh, this Batman run. It's really interesting and really just uh, what I feel like DC Rebirth. The goal should be for these is just to write like a very solid, like straightforward. This is what Batman, you know, this is what Batman is. This is who Green Lantern is. This is who Green Arrow is. And I think Batman does a really, a really good job, is doing a really good job of that. Um, and Nightwing is, I'm, I'm still on the fence about. Um, Walking Dead, I don't want to go into too much detail because I know a lot of people read it in trade. And, you know, since there's an infinite number of people who are going to be listening to this podcast, um, but we are starting the uh, Whispers War arc, and uh, they've done some really interesting stuff with Negan as a character lately. Um, so if you're a fan of the show, I always say if you're a fan of the show, you should read the book because uh, some people are like afraid that stuff's going to get spoiled. The show is is very much just uses the comic as the most the broad broad strokes for the story in the show. The characters are completely different. The, um, it's just like the arcs are, are similar. It's done really well. I recommend, but, and, and I mean, this recent run on, on walking dead has, has been great. I don't think there's been a really bad run, but even, um, you know, some, I read some of it in trade and I would imagine some of the stories might've gotten a little slow if you're reading as them as individual issues, but the last, the last, you know, two years or so, um, since I've been reading it as individual issues, they've really done a good job of kind of making every, every issue count. Um, the really interesting thing about this issue is, is, uh, anybody who's read Kirkman in the past knows that a lot of times, um, Robert Kirkman's work is very quick reads, not a lot of words, lots of big pictures. Um, for this uh, Whispers story arc, he's trying what they call the 16-panel grid, um, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, there's 16. Uh, there's a grid that's 16 panels long for every page. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every page has 16 panels. Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, one one panel will will take up more pictures, but it does uh, lend itself to a a much more dense story, which is which is kind of cool. Um, let's see, uh, the first arc of Moon Knight, uh, just ended and that, that's, uh, I, I highly recommend everybody pick, pick that up. I don't want to go into too much more detail. I also read Dr. Strange and Tokyo Ghost this week. Um, 
Doctor Strange wrapping up the last days of magic storyline and um, and uh, going to be launching a secret origin. Uh, so if anybody wants to pick that up, um, it, it's going to be uh, you know a good way to get ready for the movie coming out, which I'm very very excited for. Okay, so um, I did last night uh, watch the Killing Joke. Um, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit more in detail on on a review of this. So uh, if you haven't seen it or if you haven't read the, especially if you haven't read the comic, um, you might want to uh, fast forward a minute or two. Um, so the Killing Joke, obviously the uh, famous Alan Moore. Uh, Single issue. I'm not going to call it a graphic novel. It was like a prestige format single issue. Don't ever buy it for $20. Um, it, uh, you know, it famous, famously uh, gives, gives a very dark portrayal of the Joker. Um, does a, does a Joker origin. Um, don't let anybody ever tell you that nobody, uh, that you can't tell a Joker origin story because it's been told a million times. It's been done well and it's been done poorly. Um, most, I think most incarnations of the Joker have some kind of origin story. Um, and then, um, uh, most notably what came out of the, uh, killing joke is the, uh, uh, the Joker shoots Barbara Gordon and, and messes up her spine and kind of leads, leads to, although it wasn't the intent at the time, um, it leads to Barbara Gordon becoming Oracle, who's a really, uh, interesting character, a, a woman in a wheelchair who's sort of, uh, is the um, computer eyes and ears type person uh, for a, for a lot of the uh, sort of Batman family type characters? Um, so I generally really enjoyed it. Uh, they did a sort of a first act that was that was all it was it was very not it was not at all from the uh, the Killing Joke because like I said the Killing Joke is just one issue so you can't do a it was like an hour and 20 minutes or something like that length um, um, movie or whatever you want to call the, whatever you call the DC animated uh, straight to DVD things. Um, but uh, that was basically a Batgirl story, which was pretty cool. Um, there's a really, really weird moment in which there's, um, well, how do I put this? Uh, Batgirl and Batman have sex, which, um, is just really bizarre. Um, if you think of Batgirl as a love interest for Nightwing and you think of Nightwing being Dick Grayson being basically Batman's son. So it was kind of a really weird choice. Um, now that said, um, I thought it was very, it was done very well. Uh, it was a slightly, it was a subtle enough difference and, and it was, and it was clear that this is like not, you know, this is not, in continuity with, uh, with the Bruce Tim animated series. This is not in continuity with the sort of new 52 esque other, um, DC animated things. This was very clearly its own thing. Um, and very, very specific. And it was just, yeah, kind of, but kind of still kind of a weird choice to have, um, Barbara Gordon have sex with Batman. Like I, I wondered if that was something that, that that actually happened in in a comic at some point because I know there have been incarnations of Batgirl and Batman sort of getting together uh, or or implied romantic things. 
Uh, but just like based on sort of where comics are today and where those characters are, have sort of landed over the years. Um, it was kind of a weird scene. Uh, but then, um, that, and that's, that's basically the plot device that they use to get her to stop being Batgirl. Um, and, uh, when you had all, when you have all that context, it, uh, it actually did a good job of when the Joker, um, does what, you know, shoots her and everything. Uh, it, it, I felt like it, it gave a little more impact where, where the, the original story felt more like, uh, the way they treated that character was, was more almost like a, it was a snuff film. It was, you know, it was, she didn't really have a character arc and, and it didn't really, that was one, that was one thing I felt like in, in Alan Moore's, the killing joke, um, the, the comic, uh, it, she felt more like a, just sort of a damsel. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought, and I mean, everybody, everybody loves Mark Hamill's Joker. I'm, I'm kind of glad that, uh, um, you know, nobody, Nobody uh, is convinced that Heath Ledger's the greatest Joker. I think it's pretty established amongst people these days that Mark Hamill's Joker is the best. And this was probably the epitome. I mean, it was, he was legit creepy, like a balance of weirdness um, that, and, and creepiness that I don't think has ever been achieved before with, with, uh, with the take on the Joker. And, I mean, I feel like I've, I've, there have been a lot of bad Joker stories, whether it be in comics or it be in, in, uh, other media. And I just feel like this was like worth all of the buildup. And, um, and I mean, it's R rated, but not, it, it's a, but it feels like a soft R. Like, I think it probably, they, they did this whole, the whole buildup for it being R rated, um, but I think that was just so that they didn't have constraints so that they could make the movie that they wanted to. I mean, it's, it's got some, prof- it's got, you know, a, a few extra curse words that probably if it was PG 13, they wouldn't have been able to use. And the, the themes are very, very dark. Um, you know, you don't want to take your kids to it, but I mean, I mean, especially if you compare it to like one, you know, I really liked the under the red hood uh, film from a few years ago, but there were a lot of action scenes where there was absolutely no blood. Like I remember, I don't even remember which character, somebody like they smashed their head into a toilet and there was no blood. And I was like, eh. so I'm glad that they were able to sort of take this to the limit. But also, um, I felt like it was not as, especially the, the, there's a scene where, um, the Joker has taken pictures of of Barbara and and he had undressed her well after he had shot her you know because he's all messed up and he's showing because his goal is to make Jim Gordon go crazy and um it got the point across and it was I don't want to say that it was not that the the photos and the scenes weren't disturbing and grotesque but it wasn't as it wasn't it didn't come off as much as torture porn as I kind of expected it to. So that was, I think in, at the end of the day, that was, a, that was a good thing. Um, you know, torture porn is not, not the best. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, I, and, uh, my wife, Molly, uh, she, she enjoyed it as well. Um, she, a lot of times will watch these DC animated movies and they don't, you know, she'll watch them for a couple minutes and they don't, uh, they don't pull her in, but this one really seemed to pull her in. So, um, definitely, definitely have to, re- have to recommend that. Um, moving on, I did, uh, read the new Harry Potter, uh, last night, uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, uh, very, very interesting, um, story taking place, uh, well, it starts 19 years after the Battle of Hogwarts, but most of it actually takes place about 23 years, um, and it focuses on, um, Harry's son, Albus, uh, who, uh, I don't want to, I really don't, there's, there's just a lot of twists and turns with the plot, so I don't want to give, uh, too many plot details, but, uh, yeah, it's all about Harry's, Harry's son, uh, Albus and Albus's best friend, uh, Scorpius, who is, uh, Draco Malfoy's son. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I just don't want to, I don't want to go into too much detail, uh, because, because it's, it's very like, uh, twisty, turny, spoilery. I will say um, it's very interesting to me that they, that they chose to do that. She chose to do this as a play rather than just a straight novel. Um, I think it works. I think it could have the story could have been a, a just a straight novel, um, and and it would have probably had a little more depth to it. But I'd I'd be interested in seeing. Um, seeing actual performances of it. I, I also, I would say that the story is presented in, by reading the script, the, uh, the stage directions and things and the, and the dialogue and, and everything, um, are presented in a way that, uh, that you can just read it as a script and re- just read the script and feel like you've, experience the story that was something I was afraid of that I was going to feel a little bit detached but I really it really did uh suck me in it took me took me about four hours four or five hours to read because I was reading a little bit slow and I I did crash uh last night so it's a it's it's a play it's a play so you can read it in one sitting but it's got to be a pretty long a pretty long sitting or you got to read quickly um, but that was, that was interesting. It'd been a long time since I read just like a straight play. Okay. Um, so I saw a couple of movies recently. Um, just wanted to give you my take on those. So X-Men Apocalypse, uh, just saw at the cheap theater. Um, I'd, I'd been meaning to see that. I know it's, it came out a few months ago, but, um, I, re- I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that these X-Men movies are consistently at, at a, you know, at a level that's worth, worth seeing. Um, I mean, I don't think it necessarily changed my life, but there were a lot of really, really neat scenes. And, um, the criticism that the films are, they feel sort of the same as they were in 2000. The storytelling style is very, has stayed fairly consistent throughout. Although I think it did, um, move a little bit forward with first class. And I think for first class is probably still the best of the X-Men movies. Um, 
but uh, I'm perfectly okay with a with a darker a darker take on um, on the superheroes and a sort of a separate world for the X Men. I think I think it works really well um, because, frankly, there are I I struggle with the tension between in the Marvel universe between the mutants and the non mutants. You know, aside from, I mean, I guess the point is that they're just arbitrarily persecuted, but I mean, how is it that if, if somebody has superpowers and is a hero, they're, they're probably loved in the Marvel universe with a few exceptions. Um, but if they, you know, the Avengers are loved, I guess, uh, you know, in the Marvel universe, but the X-Men, even though they do exactly the same thing as the Avengers and you have all the same risks of one of them going crazy and do it and being super powerful. Somehow the X-Men are, are persecuted. And I mean, maybe that's the, maybe that's the point, but it just like, I feel like this, the storytelling works, works better if people fear everyone with powers rather than, um, just the people who got powers because they have the X gene as opposed to, and, and they don't, they aren't afraid of people who have powers because of a science explosion. Um, but generally, uh, um, I guess this is the point of this podcast. I'm sort of, uh, allowed to get off track if I want to, um, generally I really enjoyed X-Men Apocalypse. I thought, um, a lot, uh, the, the few too many characters, um, but that's not the first X-Men movie for that to happen. And, uh, the four horsemen of, of, of Apocalypse, did a lot of sort of standing and brooding, which I didn't really like. But um, as it, where it lacked in those characters, uh, developing uh, Scott Summers, Cyclops, and uh, and Jean Grey, I thought they did they did a really interesting job uh, with with those characters. Um, I also saw Ghostbusters recently and just really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I, I liked Bridesmaids, and uh, I would say if you like Ghostbusters and you like Bridesmaids, that's what this that's what this movie was. I'm, I mean, uh, Melissa McCarthy was more toned down than she's been in some of her recent stuff, so it worked a lot better. Um, the uh, the other two actresses whose names I'm forgetting um, did really good jobs uh, as um, as sort of support in sort of support roles and, uh, and Kristen Wiig, uh, just, just did, did really well. And the, I mean, it was a little light on, little light on story, but I think that's probably true of, of most, uh, Ghostbusters movies of, of, uh, I haven't, it's been a long time since I saw the original, but I'm, I mean, um, but, uh, but the, I mean, the special effects looked really good. And, and I don't say that about a lot of movies. Um, I thought they, they did a really good job of having, um, stylized special effects. I think that the ghosts, the way that go, that we've decided that ghosts look allowed for a little bit of a more stylized, a little, almost cartoonish, uh, look to a lot of the, a lot of the ghosts. Um, but it was, yeah, so it was really good. Um, the last movie I want to talk about is Star Trek. Um, Star Trek Beyond. Apparently, I'm the only one that didn't like it. Uh, it just... It was... I mean, first of all, I, I'd rather have a a more... Um, 
what's the word? I guess like uh, uh, smart, a smarter take on on Star Trek, like a more um, more hard sci-fi and more. Uh, I guess small a smaller story I think would be real would be what I would prefer like you know don't destroy the M- the enterprise almost destroy the enterprise I want scenes I want lot more scenes on the bridge of the enterprise and and uh stuff I mean the the begin the very beginning of the movie was very good there was a uh a, a a Captain Kirk monologue that was that was that was pretty good except for that it it, it set a precedent for the rest of the movie that I didn't like where they went with the characters. Cause that's the other thing. Like it was a lot of action that was, that was really tedious action. It felt very repetitive and, and I just, I don't know. I just get bored with people running around and fighting and explosions sometimes. Um, and then the character work that they did have because they, um, they did a time jump where it's they're three years into their five year mission and everybody's, you know, kind of tired of it and ready to go. And and it's just like, I, I didn't, I didn't buy that that's where those characters were. And I didn't want, I mean, Captain Kirk, I feel like is, is the guy that, I mean, there have been story there were stories in the, in the, in the old movies where he was kind of ready to be done with uh, the ship or he let himself get promoted or whatever. But I mean, but not, but, but I mean, at the end of the last movie, they just had started, the, they had just started their five-year mission. Why couldn't they have made this movie just like, just sort of another mission on their, on their mission? And I mean, I guess that's what some people are saying it is, but also the destruction of the Enterprise sequence was so boring and so without, without any, um, without any, any weight to it because because they they haven't in in all the movies they have in all three of the movies they spent I feel like they spent hardly any time in the in the Enterprise I mean I guess I guess in Into Darkness there was a a fair amount of time uh, but like in the first you know in the first Star Trek in the first Star Trek they they were you know getting to it you know it was all about getting to it it was an origin story um, and then in Into Darkness. Yeah, I mean, I guess they were, I guess Into Darkness, actually, as much as everybody critiques that movie, that was kind of closer to what I wanted as a, as a Star Trek movie. They spent a lot of time on the ship and I, I just, although there was, there was still, you know, gratuitous action in that movie. I don't know. Um, but I have been getting into, uh, and this is, wow, I'm, I'm 30 minutes in. Cool. I didn't realize this was going to be so long. Uh, probably other episodes won't be as long or it won't exist. Who knows? Um, but uh, I've been reading Star Trek novels off and on for the last uh, year or two. Um, I just finished the book, How Much for Just the Planet. Um, this is a uh, original series book. I, I, think it, I think it was a rejected plot either for the original series or for the... Um, the animated series, but don't quote me on that. Uh, but basically, the uh, the Federation and the uh, the Klingons have both discovered this planet that has a lot of dilithium, which um, 
if you know anything about Star Trek, that's what powers stuff. And um, so they have to go down and negotiate uh, who gets the dilithium. And basically the, uh, the, uh, the plant, the people on the planet have this weird culture that is based around musical comedy. They, uh, they sort of manipulate, manipulate everyone and be into all these sort of wacky situations and randomly break into song, which, which worked really well, um, for the first part of the book, but it just kind of got a little tired by the end. Um, but, uh, still, still, a still a fun little read. Um, if anybody else ever wants to get into Star Trek novels, a few that I can, that I can recommend as good, uh, jumping on points. Um, Imzadi is a, uh, next generation novel, uh, about, about, uh, Riker kind of going back in time and, and, uh, fixing things so that he can end up with Deanna, uh, Troy. And, and it's, and it also sort of gives a, a history of their romance and, and, uh, some of the culture on, on beta Zoid or beta Z. Um, and it's just very, it was a very interesting, it's kind of, it's one of those kind of universally loved ones. Um, prime directive is, uh, and his original series cast, uh, have been, in the last in the last year of their five year mission, they the the Enterprise five or seven or however many um, they uh, I think it's five. What, what is Spock, Kirk, McCoy, Sulu, Uhura, and Scotty? Yeah, so I think it was they called them the Enterprise six. Uh, they were um, accused in this destruction of the of the of a of a planet um, and of and there and violating the it was like the planet got destroyed because they violated the prime directive and uh, it's it's a very like kind of getting the band back together no Enterprise Seven because I forgot about Chekhov yeah they, they are called the Enterprise Seven um, but uh, but they sort of. Yeah, it's sort of a getting the band back together. Like everybody's kind of independently um, working to figure out what actually caused the group to be the planet to be destroyed. And it, it was a it was a really solid read. Really good takes on the characters. I think that's something that is true of a lot of Star Trek novels um, because it's based on a long running te- television show, or you know, or well, depending on which one. But it's based on a, on an episodic television show. So if you've seen, I would assume, I would assume that most of the people that write a novel have seen all of the episodes of the given or most of the episodes of, of the, of a given series. And therefore, um, they're really able to capture the voice of that character as it was portrayed on screen, which, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and then also the two other that I wanted to mention, I've, I've really liked, I think, I think there's another one that I've read with Q in it, but, um. I really like the novels with Q um, because I like that character. Um, Q squared um, is about uh, the the guy, the character from the Squire of Gothos, uh, which is an original series episode. I want to say his name is uh, 
Trelane, um, but don't quote me on that. He was re- he's revealed to be one of the Q and sort of shows up, but he's kind of crazy and evil and and it does all sorts of weird stuff with uh, um, multiple timelines, uh, utilizes the timeline from yesterday's Enterprise, um, which is a famous uh, Next Generation episode uh that features um, a more sort of it's, it's, I think it's a timeline where peace was not made with the, uh, with the Klingons between the Federation and, uh, and, and therefore the Federation is more militant as well as, uh, you know, it's the main prime is the main timeline. And I believe there's a third timeline, but I can't remember the specifics. And then uh, IQ is a first person, uh, from the point of view of Q uh, novel about like this kind of crazy uh, universe ending weird thing. Uh, but that, that was lots of fun. Okay. So the one, uh, the last thing I wanted to um, do on, on this podcast is I do, I do uh, write songs and things and I've, I've been doing it for a long time. Um, I do want to end every podcast or whatever with um, one of my with with a recording of one of my songs. Um, this week, uh, it's "Beer Commercial," which is a song that I wrote uh, when I was in the band Seven Book Trilogy, uh, which was we were a bar band for a while. Uh, I wrote it about sort of becoming becoming an adult and realizing that the world is not what you expect it to be. Uh, it's much more ma- mundane. Um, I sort of uh, I read I read a book called Hella Nation that was a collection of Rolling S- of uh, articles from Rolling Stone magazine by a a particular contributor, and he described that there was a group of I believe it was the it was a group of anarchists, and his take on it was basically that these guys um, they grew up and when they realized that life is not a, is not a Mountain Dew commercial, um, then they, uh, they sort of rebelled against it and got mad and stuff. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I thought beer commercial sounded better. And also it's, it's got some undertones of a, of a weird relationship I was in at the time. So, uh, uh, this this recording though um, is one that I've I've been working on for a while. Uh, the current um, project that I'm working on is uh, I'm trying to do a full length album because I haven't recorded a full length album since I was in high school, and uh, the working title of it is is Daltry Lane. It's a combination of new material uh, that I'm that I'm working on and older songs that I never really got a good recording of. Um, with whatever group I was with at the time. So um, Beer Commercial is a song that we played live a lot, uh, but it was it was never really uh, it was never recorded as a full group. I, I, I record I did a decent recording of a solo acoustic in, in, a, in an EP that I did at the time. Um, but uh, but this is this is sort of my um, I mean, it's the best I can do with the, with the equipment that I have. And, you know, I'm not a real, I'm not a real drummer, so I'm playing all the instrument, but I'm playing all the instruments. Um, so it's not, 
it's not perfect. It's not professional, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's sort of the best, the best way that I was able to document this song. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you, uh, subscribe on iTunes. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't know how often I'm going to do this or if, if this is a, this feels like a really long episode, but I probably have a lot more to talk about since I, uh, since I didn't, um, since I, since I haven't done one of these type of things in a long time. Uh, so, uh, without, uh, oh, and, and, uh, you can, um, I don't have a Facebook page, but, uh, i uh, subscribe. Yeah. Subscribe to Kendall cast on iTunes and, uh, and, uh, I'm at K Hallman. That's K H A L M A N on uh, Twitter. And then again, uh, be on the lookout for the Warren beast podcast on audio entropy. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. And here's uh, here's beer commercial.
Jesus.